So I know every week uh, as we've prepared, uh, some of these commandments we bump into is like, really, how much can you say about that? We get it. Uh, I think this is another one of those we bump into and we're like, how much could you possibly, I think we understand this one. Um, But I do have a few things to say uh, this morning um, about uh, murder. And so today's we're looking at the the sixth word that God has for us in our 10 to 1 series. Um, It's it's pretty short, it's pretty straightforward. Um, And of all the words that we've seen so far, uh, this one to me seems to be the most obvious of all of them. Um, For 99.9% of the population of the world, no matter what background, religion, belief, lack of belief uh, that most folks have, uh, we believe not murdering is a pretty good idea. Um, Even atheists believe murder is a bad idea. On the surface, it seems like it's, it's a pretty obvious word. Um, every major religion has something to say about it. Uh, yet murder has been a problem for, for humanity since the beginning. For, from, from just a purely humanist perspective, uh, this might be the first commandment that people would agree with and list as most important. Um, and you'd think as a people of faith that this particular command of thou shalt not murder would be a topic uh, that we don't really need to discuss or talk about. But Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, remind us otherwise when their sibling rivalry uh, in chapter 4 of Genesis led to the first murder in human history. Cain was the, the older son of Adam and Eve. He was a farmer. And Abel was a shepherd of sheep. And the text says that Cain brought an offering to God of, and catch the word, of some of the harvest from his crops. And then it says, and Abel also brought an offering to God, and he brought the first lamb born to the sheep. And so here's where it gets interesting. For reasons that we're not clear about, God doesn't really appreciate Cain's offering, but he does appreciate Abel's. Why? Um, Scholars aren't certain, but the text is clear that Abel's offering was the first lamb born, the first and the best, while Cain's offering was some of the harvest, but not necessarily the first of the harvest. So Cain gets mad. Cain's the farmer. Cain's the one that brought some of his produce. He's angry at God. He's angry at his brother for bringing a better offering. And God says, why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? Fallen. He says, if if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. It's desires for you, but you must master it. So sin is lurking at the door. Why? Cain is angry at God over God's standard. And he's angry at his brother's offering. And I think he's most angry at the humility of his brother's heart in accepting 
and devoting himself to God's standard. Ultimately, Cain's angry over the quality of Abel's worship and for giving to God what God asked for first. Cain's angry because Abel is the curve breaker in the class, and we hate that guy. (laughs) Abel's offering exposed the mediocrity and the lukewarmness and the inferiority of Cain's worship. And we know, and God knows, that what we really worship and what we really adore and what we really devote ourselves to reveals the true condition of our heart and, ex- and it exposes what we really love and where our affections lie. And God's telling Cain that sin is waiting to ambush him if he doesn't carefully guard his heart. And, and Cain gets offended at God and he gets offended at his brother. And we're all still dealing with this issue. Instead of getting offended, Cain should have humbled himself before God and sought to do better. Humility is the antidote to offense. It's the antidote to offense. But most of us would rather order a second round of offense (laughs) than a single shot of humility. So in a fit of jealous rage, Cain murders his younger brother. And God punishes Cain for his sin. But even in the punishment, there's an act of mercy. And you can go back and you can read the story in chapter 4 of Genesis. But we see in this sixth word, don't murder, that even though it seems so simple and so straightforward, we have had a hard time keeping it. Uh, When we spoke about the 10th word, coveting, several weeks ago, we looked at the book of James that says this, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. We commit murder because we want something someone else has, and it's often born out of coveting our neighbor's property. For Cain, he coveted the affection and the approval of God instead of giving God what God asked for or or simply asking for forgiveness and humbling himself. He killed his brother so that there wouldn't be any competition for affection from God. Now, how crazy is that thought? But let's go back and look closer at the sixth word God has for us. He says, you shall not murder. The word for murder is also translated as kill, and the Hebrew word used is a common word in the Old Testament, and it's typically used in referring to killing someone who isn't an enemy, who isn't an enemy. So this word is not used when Israel is at war or when someone's being punished for a crime. Again, I'm I'm going back to, to the word that is used in Hebrew. 
But this Hebrew word's also used when someone is killed unintentionally. When someone's killed unintentionally, then murder is not really the appropriate word. But in our context today, we might use the word manslaughter uh, for this type of killing. Therefore, some translations of the Bible translate this word as murder and others as kill. So let me quote Peter Inns on, uh, on what this means for us. He says, thus perhaps murder is not as straightforward a translation as might be assumed. At the very least, we can state that there is a legitimate and illegitimate killing in the Old Testament that this commandment refers to any type of killing that God disallows. Uh, Just what that means is, again, a matter of wise reflection on the part of the Israelite leaders. So when we started this morning, I said that almost all people agree on this commandment as being good. But why? How is that possible without a foundation for the sacredness of life? Think about it. Without a context of a creator who created us, without a context of an understanding of the sacredness of life, then this commandment makes no sense. It's simply survival of the fittest and every man for himself. This sixth word's born out of a relationship with God. It's born out of a proper understanding that humanity is created in the image of God. The instruction to not murder sees a sacredness to life. So when we diminish and we devalue God, then we diminish and we devalue life. But the world around us constantly diminishes both God and life. Too often we're like Cain and we turn to violence when we don't get our way. Oh, maybe it's not with a gun. Maybe it's not with physical weapons. But we use our words. We use our manipulation. We use fear and intimidation to diminish and to devalue the life and the image of God in our neighbors and our friends and in our family. So how do we cultivate a sense of holy awe for our neighbor, for humanity? Look at the person beside you. Look at the person in front of you. They are created in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. Life has purpose and value. And when we kill, we're diminishing that value. And in a sense, you're killing a part of yourself along with it. God's shown us through his word that each man and woman, regardless of skin color, culture, creed, doesn't matter, created in his image. It's an elevation of the individual. That's why we have horror when when regimes and governments elevate the state over the individual which often results in the slaughter of countless thousands of innocent lives. But the world chips away at the sacredness of life and it dulls our senses to the sacredness and to the awe of the people that we brush up against every day. Just look at abortion. Each year, 40 to 50 million, that's approximately 125,000 Abortions a day. And we're, we're bombarded with killing and murder on television. 
and the news shows us the worst of humanity and all the new ways that we can invent to kill each other. And that's what we see all around us too often. And it stems from our devaluing of God and the devaluing of life. We're created in the image of God. We're knit together in our mother's womb. The Lord of the universe knows every hair on our head. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. These are things that are critical to our understanding of this sixth word. And this word for us is deeper and it's more significant than just the act of not killing. We see this clearer in Jesus' own words in Matthew when he gives us the proper context and, and actually a little more depth into this commandment. We read in Matthew 5, 21 through 24, he says, You've heard that it was said of those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So again, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying not murdering is deeper than the physical act of killing. Once again, it's a heart condition. We keep coming back to this week after week. We've seen that with this commandment, Jesus is addressing not just the action, but he's also addressing the catalyst behind those actions. What's leading up to those actions that spring up inside of our spirits. The problem with anger is that it most often treats the other person as less than a person created in the image of God. Jesus is all about a people and a community that have mutual respect and go to great lengths to reconcile and to forgive. Not all anger is wrong. Jesus got angry. Uh, anger is a normal human emotion. There are things that you should be angry about, and it would actually be unrighteous if you were not angry about them. But when we allow anger to devalue another person, then our hearts have, in a sense, murdered them. So, for instance, anger over the act of abortion versus anger at the single mom. Now, let that hit you where it lives for just a minute. Because we're good at pointing out a sin and tying people to it. And God is talking about this action of murder. So if we focus our anger wrongly and we stand outside of an abortion clinic and yell at the young mother that doesn't know what else to do because we won't actually get involved in the mother's life to help. Then what are we doing? We're focusing our anger at 
her. Maybe we have some righteous indignation over the anger of the baby's life. But when we focus that anger at the mom, then in a sense we're still murdering. So right relationships and reconciliation are important to God. So important that Jesus tells us to leave our gifts at the altar and to stop worship and to go be reconciled to our neighbor first. Why? Because our worship is impeded. It's stopped in its tracks. Our worship's broken. Our worship's not complete. Unless we seek to be reconciled and forgiven, then we have, we have to have a heart of peace with our neighbors. If there's someone you're angry with or you have bitterness or hatred towards, it's pretty easy to tell. I mean, isn't it? If, if they were to walk into the room right now, most likely all of us in here would know just by looking at your face how you feel about the person. It's obvious, and we could tell that you have an issue with them. That anger, though, is getting in the way of our relationship with God. So how do we cultivate a heart of peace? Well, it's not easy. We have to be vigilant. Bitterness and anger destroy us more than it destroys the other person. It's killing your soul more than your neighbor's soul. So go and be reconciled. If they don't receive it, it's not on you. It's on them. You seek to be at peace first. Then your prayers can go from violence to peace. And then pray for that person and pray specifically for God's best for them. How is that not a safe prayer? Even if they're dead wrong, God, I pray your best for them. Well, isn't his best for them to be right? How can that be a wrong prayer? How can it be wrong to pray for an enemy? How can it be wrong to pray for a friend that you're mad at? And to pray that for God's best for them. Not that they get what they deserve, because none of us want to receive what we really deserve. And that's how we go from violence to peace. And as we close this morning, I want to take a moment and step back from the sixth word. And I want to look again at these ten words as a whole. These ten words, these ten commandments, they reveal the heart of God to us. They are a way for us to understand who God is. And since we've been created in the image of God, then these ten words reveal to us uh, God's best intention for our life. As I've said before, they're meant to show us how to live free in a broken world. And we must understand the context in which they're given. They are given to the people of God. Did you hear that? They're given for those of us sitting in this room that have asked Jesus to be Lord. That's who these words are given to. So don't be surprised when a people who don't know God don't act like they know him. These instructions were designed to be kept in community. They're designed to be kept in relationship with each other. They are important for us to keep individually. But they were given in community. And they're not primarily for our individual morality as much as they are for our, our corporate family and relational context. 
They're given to us so that the people of God can show the world what kind of God we worship. But too often we forget this, and instead of demonstrating holiness and righteous behavior, we condemn those on the outside for not following these words. We're quick to judge those out in the world for not following the Ten Commandments, but these instructions weren't designed to condemn those outside. They were designed to reveal what kind of God we worship and how to have a healthy relationship in here as a demonstration to provoke those out there. We can't expect the world to keep God's instructions apart from a love relationship with Jesus because we can't do that either without a love relationship with him. These words make no sense apart from a relationship with God. So don't get caught up in demanding that the Ten Commandments be posted in schools and in public places, but rather I'd see a people that really focus on demanding that they be posted on our hearts and living them in community. The world is dying to know what the meaning of life is all about. The world is seeking order in the chaos of their lives to make sense of the grind. And we, the church, have been given the gift of life. These 10 words in the living word spoken and demonstrated by Jesus. So how do we go on from here? What's our next step? Well, who are you angry at? Who are you not forgiving? Because that's where murder starts. And I realize most of us in this room aren't going to go all the way through with our anger to the point of murder. But Jesus is saying, before you ever get to the action, I'm saying, hey, judge the intent of the heart because you've already murdered them there. Don't think you're so righteous because you haven't picked up the gun. You've all but done that in your anger and your animosity towards them. Your heart has already thought about it. So one way to do that is to write their name in your journal and daily ask God for forgiveness and pray for God's best for them. And it doesn't excuse what maybe the person did to you. People have had horrific, horrific things, unexcusable things done. It's not glossing over it. It's just you not drinking the poison for their sin. And secondly, each person you encounter today, no matter who they are, remember, they're created in the image of God. So how can you see them as an image bearer and demonstrate that? Let's pray. God, I thank you again, Lord, for your instructions. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you didn't just write them down. You didn't just tell us. But Lord, you sent your son to demonstrate how to live this out correctly. We see Jesus, very rightly so, get angry. But in his anger, he doesn't sin. And I pray, Lord, that as a people that wear his name, do things in his name, gather in his name, that he would be the one whose example we follow, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that where we have not measured up to this, 
There's forgiveness. But I also thank you as a good father, you're not manipulated by your children. And you still say, I forgive you, but I want you to do the right thing. Lord, help us do the right thing. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.